This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah! Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah! But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to the Podcast Maneuver, the officially unofficial podcast for Star Trek Picard on Paramount+. Plus. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 3, Episode 5, Imposters. Aaron, how'd you feel about this imposter-filled episode? I felt vindicated because I was saying, oh man, you know who would really be awesome if they got back on this show? Rolaren. And guess who came back on the show? Michelle Forbes as Rolaren. I was really mm-hmm. pleased by that. Um, I was also really pleased by Worf kicking some more ass and right. in general being awesome. I thought it was cool that Rolaren was his, it was revealed to be his handler. I, everything uh, I'm I, I I don't know what they're doing with Jack. Sure. Like he whips out this uh this John Wick combat maneuvering, which was cool, but it kind of came out <laughs> of left field. And, mm-hmm. you know, this with like, you know, this the, the red vines and the red door and the various female voices calling him home. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Because we we're we we're doing a little pre-show banter and we're talking about like, what are they suggesting with him? Was he, you know, replaced with like a, a, a con type super soldier? You know, because this mm-hmm. is supposed to be the Wrath of Khan season, and they kind of hinted uh, the, the Khan type stuff, super soldier type stuff in last season. But you're like, well, when would that would have happened? You know, Beverly's been with him since he was born. Like, mm-hmm. if he was a genetically engineered super soldier, she would know, right? And right. she wouldn't be like, oh, you're the son of Picard. You're. And then I'm like, well, maybe he's a changeling. He got replaced a changeling. But like, why would he be killing other changelings? Mm-hmm. I know that. You know, like Odo is broadly speaking opposed. There's probably a lot of others in the Great Link that are. Um, yeah, I, I just nothing makes sense. And it's like, am I tuning in to see the adventures of Jack Crusher? Or am I tuning in to see Picard and Riker and Beverly and, and Worf and everybody have a lot of fun? I'm doing the latter. So every time we focus a whole episode on Jack, which was this is like, I guess I would say 50% of the episode was about him and his mental state and him freaking out. Uh, it it lost me a bit. So I thought this was, eh. I thought, yeah, everything everything Jack Crusher, I just like, oh, God, I'm so bored by. Uh, what about <laughs> yeah. you? No, they're definitely ramping up the Jack of it all. Um, and that's okay. I feel like we're we're in the middle of the season where I want answers to these questions, right? Because they've been hinting at this stuff all season practically for at least for the last two episodes really heavily uh they can't drag it out too much longer without starting to give me some information so i'm okay with them going further into this i i does raise my eyebrow though watching this happen and going what are the possibilities here because i just don't see them um and Mm. that could be a good thing 
if they can really surprise me and blow my mind with something. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm on thin ice here with the show, right? Like, I think it'll hold, but I, I'm not, <laughs> hey, right. but I'm not certain, right? I, right. You're the first yeah. guy out on the lake drilling a hole for a fish. Like, I don't know. Uh-huh. Probably, I'm hearing some weird cracking noises, but that's just it's settling, right? <laughs> yeah. We, you know, Star you Trek know, Picard. That's what it does. <laughs> it just creaks and groans and uh-huh. shatters. Did you, did the, I mean, you've heard the, the old phrase, Jackson, all scenes interested in none. And I feel like that really applies in this situation because <laughs> right. when he is in all the scenes, I am like, I my interest level immediately dips. Like it's the opposite sure, of Worf. Sure. Where like when I see silver-haired Worf show up, I like lean forward in my seat and like, oh man, he's gonna say or do something really awesome. When Jack's mm-hmm. on the screen, I'm like, ah, oh, God, it's ah oh, this guy again. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm with you, right? I I came to this show at the beginning for Picard and data and i stayed for the queue and now i'm here for everybody else but jack's new to the crew so it's going to take me some time to warm up to him if i ever do and don't get me wrong this guy is a massive upgrade in the b plots that they in terms of just acting ability and charisma like he is a huge upgrade in the android lady and the the romulan boy Mm -hmm. um but it's still not something I'm inherently interested in. I do think it's interesting that every single one of these seasons of Picard has centered around the Federation being yeah, yeah. evil. Like, like uh, Romulans uh-huh. were taken up to the very top and the it was, it was corrupted because it was a timeline corruption. Um, mm-hmm. This, it's like, oh, it's again another conspiracy to the top. Like, Holy hell, it would it, it like it would explain why this is not a federation that I that I that I remember in my youth. This is not the egalitarian uh you know socialist utopia. Um and, and they always hinted the fact that like outside Federation space things can get pretty grim pretty fast. Like the whole Maquis mm-hmm. you know, they're bringing back the Maquis plot line and that that was yep. one of the points of interest that like it was a, a Essentially, the Federation had sold these settlers uh, to the Cardassians as a, as a as a way to avoid a larger war with Cardassia, and uh, a lot of Federation officers didn't think that right. A lot of colonists didn't think that was right, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of led this kind of, um, you know, uh, I think it was led by the Bajorans, but a lot of people joined their common cause and fought against Cardassia. They were considered traitors by the Federation. They're considered terrorists by the Cardassians. Um so there's always been this kind of like shades of gray, but like now it seems like it's at the heart of the Federation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It kind of kills me. Uh, I, I don't know. We, we've talked at length about this in previous seasons and stuff. One of the things that I love about Star Trek is its ideals. Is it's uh, the core of, of goodness that surrounds humans in that show. Uh, and they really stripped all that away and, and kind of, I don't know, brought it back to like every other show that ever deals with politics or or social issues or anything. And like, there's just so much of that. I, I never see this pure utopia on television, like an aspirational yeah. idea of what human society could be, that it's yeah. kind of sad to to lose that to them, for them to just go into yet another 
you know, semi dystopian human future is kind of fucking boring. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. What the hell, that was man? The one, especially nowadays, there's not like uh, you can't just go outside and find a utopian science fiction franchise. They're all kind of like this, yeah, you know, seedy dystopia. Um, and like it, I, I don't get me wrong. You can definitely go cringy in the other direction. Um, totally. I was recently reminded by a season one episode where. Enterprise gets involved between two planets. One planet is supplying a drug to another planet that it turns out they're essentially, uh, you know, drug dealers, and yeah, they're keeping yeah. this whole planet addicted, and it has has destroyed their economy and destroyed their health and all this kind of stuff. And there's a scene where Wesley goes to Tasha Yards, like I just don't understand why people would do drugs. It's so you know, it's it's clearly <laughs> you know they lose themselves and why they do it just to feel good. And you know, Tasha, the person who ra- was raised on a fucking rape gang planet, it's kind of like trying to tell, explain like why you know people can be so lost and blah blah blah. But like it's just so like just say no, kids. And like at the mm-hmm. end when Tasha wraps up because Wesley's like. <sighs> I guess I'll just never understand drug addiction. And Tasha's <laughs> like, I hope you never have to, Wesley. Like the whole like rainbow shooting star, the more you know, is like completely yeah, over yeah, her yeah. head. That's fucking cringe. I remember being 12 years old watching that like, oh, my God, I'm not. I'm, I'm still I'm still over 20 years away from fucking with drugs. But I'm still like, oh, this is fucking cringe, man. Mm-hmm. But. Ever, like like having Starfleet officers addicted to drugs and going through hardcore withdrawal and just you know failing to have any kind of like uh, semblance of mental health or control mm-hmm. is not it is not you know the opposite of crazy is still crazy. Yeah. Uh, no, that's the way that Star Trek is going uh, as of the last several series, right? I mean, Disco was was this. Um, is still this i don't know i stopped watching after season two Mm -hmm. uh but yeah it it just kind of bums me out because it was an example of something that you don't see very often and now it's kind of tarnished and people might say well you know it's a different time back then bullshit the original series came out of the vietnam era and civil rights struggle the Mm -hmm. next generation came at the height of the cold war the, the height of the aids epidemic uh you know, people, uh, the, the, the warlords taking over Africa, people starving. Like, the world wasn't like this pleasant utopian place that reflected. No, like, Star Trek was always <laughs> like, yeah. there is a better way, people. Uh-huh. And, like, now it seems to content to be like, yeah, world's kind of shitty, even in the future. Even 500 years from now when we have essentially not even a pocket of this fucking universe is a place for equity and justice. Even, even if you have replicators and unlimited power you're still going to have to worry about paying for medicine and being addicted. It's like, ah, God, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's regrettable. I think there's a line in this episode that made me tear my hair out. Uh, it comes from Crin who says there can be no utopia without crime. I, I don't know what definition of utopia people are working off of here. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe his particular, his personal view of utopia is, he really loves to do crime. He's not happy unless he's doing crime. <laughs> and so in his worldview, there can be no no utopia without crime. But that is an asinine statement. I mean, the, the whole goal of utopia is to eliminate crime, right? Yeah, you'd think. He's I mean, like it's, the... it's, look, it's not the whole goal. The whole goal is to make people happy, uh, healthy and fruitful. But like, 
yeah, the the idea that there has to be crime. It maybe in the sense of like there can be no good without evil, like a sense of right. contrast. That's, but like, yeah, that's stupid. That's just stupid. Like yeah. that that idea makes sense that you can't recognize good without evil, but you can live in a utopia without crime. As a matter oh, of fact, sure. that's my preferred version of utopia. <laughs> And it's not like you can't have conflict because the galaxy is a big place. There's going to be some uh-huh. places that, like, this is like uh, Ian M. Banks' culture series does this all the time. Like, uh, conflict comes within individuals, you know, wanting to succeed uh, on their own merits. It comes from without, like, because uh, not every culture wants to be part of the utopia. In fact, that sounds literally scary to a lot of cultures. Something sure. pops in, like, hey, we can solve all your problems. You can live forever. You can do whatever you want. Uh, you just have to kind of join and, and, and do things the way we do it. Uh, that's really fucking scary. Yeah. You know? Um, For sure. So, yeah, you can get a lot of cool storylines and still have a lot. I mean, obviously, TNG had a lot of, like, conflict and, and drama and, and exciting action. But it wasn't, like, the bridge crew betraying each other constantly and mm-hmm. tearing each other down and and um, just being bellicose assholes. Um, yeah. But it seems indicative of the way that this, this franchise is headed. Uh, even well, even so, when they're bringing it back to the old school stuff, right? To the stuff that was more hopeful. And I was going to say, uh, I think Utopia. Strange New Worlds is markedly better in yeah. both. Yeah. And it might just be because, like, I just I I think this team's kryptonite is they cannot sustain a storyline longer than an hour or two. Yeah, you might be right. And, I don't and know that's, why. that's part of it. Like they, they've wanted to make the storyline so big and so epic. What it, when you've done, you know, every alien entity in the cosmos, what do you do next? Well, you turn inward, right? And you say, okay, now the new biggest challenge for Picard is his own morals, his own uh, life, the things he's fought for. That becomes the biggest challenge for him yet. And yeah, I get that, but at the same time. It's really tearing down some of the things I loved about Star Trek. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I guess you're going to get to the recap. I wish I one thing I wish they would do is um, turn turn on the lights on these starships. <laughs> I, I know we've said Never. it before, said it again, but like, oh, my God, like mm-hmm. and also they, they all look the same uh, mm-hmm. when the two changeling crew members beamed off of the shuttlecraft i wasn't immediately obvious about whether they had gone to the intrepid or the titan because all these starships look the fucking same now yeah i mean kind of makes sense but yeah i i don't know how to get around that problem yeah it's not often that you see the enterprise interacting with another ship in the the fleet usually it's oh we're interacting with the romulans or whatever uh for ringy right. um i don't know it does look like they have it's an intentional design choice to make these ships look more like military ships like bare bulkheads visible bolts mm-hmm. uh lots of steel lots of handles and you know crunchy bits you don't have like carpeting and padding and things like that and you, you it's it's all very dark and uh you know cobalt type coloring um mm-hmm. Like I said, it's a it's a choice. This thing looks a lot more like the inside of a submarine than it does like a hotel lobby, and that was kind of next generation's aesthetic. And maybe that was too extreme, 
you know, uh, your bridge officers were schlepping around in pajamas on, you know, in, in, a, in a hotel lobby. But I don't know. This, I think <laughs> it, it goes back to, um, I, I think that the original Enterprise has got a nice compromise between something that's purely utilitarian and bellicose, w- between something mm-hmm. that's also warm lit and designed for, you know, humans to be comfortable using them. Yeah. I mean, I like love the, the Kirk's look. Bridge doesn't scream warship. No, not the Titan Bridge screams warship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love the the <laughs> somewhat uh let's let's just say outdated. Obviously, it's outdated uh, at this point. Look of the Enterprise D. I think there's something super charming about the pastels and the the materials uh, used. All of the carpeted walls they they get me. I love it. Um, but yeah, it is clearly outdated. They needed to do an update. I, I don't think this looks bad. I think it looks fine, uh, but it is very dark. And I feel like that is yet another reflection of just how dark this show has become uh, and Star Trek as a franchise has become. Yeah, it's funny when the ship was on overload mode in the last episode, getting, you know, going through the, the birthing process. Uh, that was the only time where I thought like, ah, this looks like a Starfleet vessel. Like it's intended yeah, yeah, to be yeah. overexposed, like Mister something, uh-huh. the Sylvanian man, right? But like, no, this actually looks about right. It's bright. Uh-huh. You can see, you can read fine text in this lighting. Yeah. All right, are we ready to get to the recap? Yes, please. Shields up! Here come the ads. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. The first of the summer shows to hit our calendar begins next week, so it's time for us to talk about The Boys. Join us for the Season 4 Preview Podcast this Thursday to see if The Boys can continue to delight and disgust. This is normally where we tell you about what's going on with the latest Prestige podcast. Unfortunately, due to the very hectic nature of our summer lineup, we decided to move Prestige to an every other week release schedule. That means no Prestige podcast this week. We'll be back with more Prestige covered soon. Don't forget about the bear. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Hey, the boys are back in town. Just in time to heat up summer, our favorite blood-soaked, darkly humorous deconstruction of the superhero mythos returns on Amazon Prime Video. Boys Season 4 gets started on June 13th, but we'll get the drop on them with our preseason preview coverage the week before. It's been a while. Lots happened since last season. Two whole years, labor dispute, that kind of thing. But we'll be catching you up on all the major plot points and character beats as we left things off. Plus, we'll be looking at the trailers and latest news to piece together what to expect. I know one thing to expect. Right off the bat, they're dropping three debut episodes for the premiere. Woo! But otherwise, who knows? Will Gus Fring reveal why he has absolutely no fear of Homelander? And while we're on that topic, will Butcher and the boys figure out a way to stop Christian nationalist Superman? Will those crazy kids, Monster Man and Starlight, find a way to make things work? Come laugh, cry, and maybe even throw up in your mouth a little with us as we discover the answers for ourselves this season of The Boys. Find it by searching for the Department of Homelander Security wherever you listen to podcasts, or subscribe to Ball Move Pulp to get all our coverage of sci-fi, fantasy, and superheroic entertainment. Ad-
Ladies, ensigns, welcome back to the podcast maneuver. All right, we start off where we left uh, the Titan last episode. Systems are coming back online. Jack Crusher comes to the bridge and kills the entire crew while red tentacles take over his mind. Uh, then he comes to in his quarters with a phaser in his hand. His eyes glow red and someone says, come home. That's someone is Va- Vedic, Vedic, right? Sounds very Vedic to me, yeah. I didn't recognize the 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 voice in the previous episode, but like I definitely recognize both Vatic and Crush Beverly. Beverly yeah, it's Crusher becoming clearer in this, episode. Uh, in this episode, right? Last episode, it was you could barely even tell somebody said something. This episode, right. you can identify particular entities saying it. So, right? Are these vines identifying? Are these helping him? Are they helping him identify who's changeling? Uh, are they guiding him? Are they preparing uh, him for what? You know, because like he doesn't really murder Starfleet officers. He murders a bunch of uh, changelings or I guess he kills them in self-defense. Yeah. Is that what they're going towards that? Because I don't know. It seems like he's a lot more disturbed and fr- like if this was a purely like, oh, my God, this thing's helping me see changelings. I don't think he would worry about it. But when he describes it to his mom, it seems like uh, he's worried that something's wrong with him. Yeah, this doesn't feel like something he's been battling for for a long time though we'll we'll talk about that later in the episode uh or at least something he's been conscious of for a long time it seems like it's something that he's just now becoming aware of and struggling with um so it was either something dormant in him uh or it's something that he had his memory wiped and now that's that effect is fading or he's being activated in some way it's yeah, I, I don't know what's going on here uh, with the red tentacles, but it, all is of this is think, just a uh, vision, right? He didn't actually kill yeah, the crew, right? Not yet. Do you do you think that this is more or less intriguing to tell a story this way, where you have a person you didn't know he's uh, Picard's son, you find out he's Picard's son, you get to know him, and during the process, as you get to know him, you see that in, internally he's struggling with these vine stuff. Uh, do you think that's more intriguing to like you have this come out of nowhere and not know where it's going? Or do you think it would be better if like we saw, you know, he had this experience, you know, when he was alone in his room, some red energy entered him like there's no no fucking clue where this is or what it's coming from as as we see now. Um, I guess I might like to try the latter because I would really like to know. I mean, I just want more information, and that would be a little bit more information. I would at least know that, like, he didn't know about this before. I would, I would know that he didn't necessarily want it to happen. Um, here, he's very disturbed by it, but I don't know if this is something he signed up for, and he's just like feeling the effects, and they're surprising him. Or, well, I guess when he says he tells Beverly, there's something very wrong with me. That implies we also a lot. don't know when he had the first vision. Like, did this coincide with the Federation beginning to hunt him? Is this something that he's had for years? But they're like, you know, once every three mm-hmm. years, you'll have a red vine dream. It's like, that's fucked up. But well, Beverly you know, says something about him having nightmares since he was a baby. And I wonder if they're related. So is this stretch back? Right. Does this stretch back that far? Are they connected? Yeah, that's my guess at the moment. Mm-hmm. But. I I really maybe this is leftover Borg shit, right? Like they forgot to take the implants out of Picard. 
hundred percent, and his somehow sperm, some board leaked into it. His sperm are still fifty percent machine. Uh, uh-huh, is that what you're uh-huh. suggesting? Okay, absolutely. Okay. And so Jack Crusher is like half Borg. He's he's like a quarter Borg, I think. At that core, if his dad's one half Borg, oh, his mom's yes, hundred percent yes. human. He'd be a quarter. I got Borg. my math Come wrong. On. Yes, twenty five percent Borg. Out. <laughs> this is what it looks like when you're twenty five percent Borg. Ask Seven; All she'll right. know. All right. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, they they get a second to breathe. And Picard, Riker, Seven, and Shaw discuss the pertinent questions about what just happened, such as how did a changeling get aboard and what did they tell Starfleet about commandeering their ship? Riker turns command back over to Shaw, who says he already contacted Starfleet. They're on their way. He reinstates Seven so she can face uh, court-martialing being instated, uh, then leaves them alone to get their story straight. Picard wants to take responsibility, uh, cover for his friends. (laughs) He tells I love Beverly how no one, go home. no one jumps in to be like, oh, Jean-Luc, we can't let you do that. It's just he's like, I will bear the brunt. I was totally responsible. And Riker and everybody's like, yeah, damn right. You know, we're we're only here because you came. Goddamn. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, usually people like, no, we can't let you. They're just, nope. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, Does this explain why changelings look like meat wads now? That this is a new oh, yeah, evolution of changelings. That it's not like because like when Beverly, what does she call it? Extreme dissects them. Eventually, they fall apart into the recognizable kind of reddish, you know, more mm-hmm. more recognizable reddish Dominion fluid, um, founder yeah. fluid, like but, a, like a thin blob material. Yeah, like, that they are. That this is supposed to suggest meat and gristle and bone material. That they're not. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it does make a lot of sense. She says it's not an evolution, though. That it's like, or, or does she say it's an evolution? I think that she is, says it's an evolution. It's it's an evolution. They said that is it a different species? And right, I think she, she says, says no. no it's a, it's evo- it's evolution. Whatever whatever that means. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. At some point, they're unrecognizable as changelings. I would say, but. And how, hmm, yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I really want to talk about this stuff when we get to uh, the autopsy scenes, mm-hmm. which are coming up here in a bit. Yeah. Uh, I also really like the delight that Shaw is taking in bringing these people to justice. Like, he oh, this is whole just episode. so yeah. happy that Starfleet's going to come and rub these guys' nose into the non existent carpet on the deck. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just love it. And how Gleef is like, yeah, would you like to face the music? Reinstated or uninstated? She's like, reinstated. He's like, all right, have your. It's, he's good. He's great. It's great. And they set up um, something that is a retcon that that makes a lot of sense, though. Uh, that every crew member now passes through an internal imaging chamber before reporting for for their post on Starfleet, which you is standard protocol think, since the Dominion War. Makes sense. You you would think that just transporting someone would do that. Totally. And and that's why I was like super suspicious of Roe later because she didn't want to well, transport over. I'm like, well, of course. fucking episode is wanting you to suspect maximum yes. Roe coming back on. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that worked pretty well for me. I, I was. Yeah. I was on board. Yeah, they for did that. construct that pretty well. Like just as like she's doing the blood test, you have you go back to Beverly yep. and being like, "Yo, the blood test won't work," and uh-huh. you know it adds a little bit of a pressure cooker situation to Picard. Yeah, that wasn't the problem in the episode for sure. Yeah, it did surprise me a little when 
Beverly was like, I want to go examine the changeling's body. I'm like, how do you examine a changeling's body? Uh, Bashir had access to one for damn near a decade and <laughs> yeah. never learned a thing about it. <laughs> like, good luck. And he but was a genetically engineered super genius, Beverly. Uh-huh. I love you, but come on. <laughs> right. Your medicine's 20 years out of date, lady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but no, th- this worked because it is different, right? Uh, this is something that's easily observable, even to the naked yes. human eye. So yes. Um. Yeah, and then, and then he says, uh, Picard says, "Hey, I want Beverly and Jack to go home. Beverly wants to examine the body, though." Uh, Picard tries to talk Jack into joining Starfleet, but Jack turns him down, which makes sense. Like I. I don't want to ruin my life the way you did, old man. Like, the reason I'm here and pissed off at you is because you were a Starfleet junkie and never had time for your son. Like, why would I want to follow that path? Yeah, it makes Picard seem like an Amway salesman. Like, he's just always trying to... He's just always selling Starfleet, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, uh, you got a problem there? Have you tried Starfleet? Oh, you know, if a little... Uh, uh, Finding a loss of lack of direction in your life, try Starfleet. Are you... Right. Yeah. Or at... at, or at at least it makes him seem a little oblivious, like suggesting to this kid, after this all particular kid, right? Right. Silly. Uh, the 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 swords and clashing sounds of battle they play in Jack's head when he's at the end of his conversation just makes him seem truly unhinged. <laughs> okay, I thought that Do was part remember? of the next scene, but. Oh my god! Which is Worf. Oh my god! You're right. <laughs> oh just, my god! They let in with some sound, but it you're works. Right, the it very works. next scene is them. Why? So why <laughs> did they do that? I think. It, I think it's both. I think. Yeah. I think yeah. Jack's brain was. What do they call that? Uh. Uh. When when the music's coming from inside the scene, he's a providing diegetic. Diegetic. He's providing a. Diegetic sound for the next scene because he's just all nice. just all swords and bloodshed in his brain. Uh-huh. No, you're right. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Yeah, let's get to that. Uh, Rafi and Worf train together, and they get a message from Worf Starfleet handler. It says Worf has been denied access to investigate Daystrom, but also to continue investigating. So they decide to question someone who knew Sneed uh, and might also know how the changelings got into Daystrom. His name is Kryn, and he's the kingpin. Of some crime syndicate. I love the Klingon Empire music that they play during their sword fight, too. It's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah anytime some, we get Klingon music, it's good it's, down. It's good stuff. Uh, I also love when he does the Neo thing where, like, Rafi's doing an all-out assault on him. And he's just, like, like with a bored look on his face, blocking it one-handed with, like, very mm-hmm. minimal motion. It's like he's just, like, handing her her ass here. Uh He's doing it with a batleth, right? I think it's that that kal that that kotleth, the 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 new sword that they designed for him. Gotcha. It's it's like an asymmetric batleth. Um, Do you know why he drops to his knees? Was he anticipating his handler calling? Like you know, like uh, Mm. yeah, like he like abandons the battle, drops his knees, and, and strikes a meditation pose. And yeah. Rafi's like, what the fuck? And like three seconds later, a call comes in. I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're doing with that. I mean, I, I know they're making a very times, new like, agey, but like. Right. But why would you? Why would you? There's a couple times I've seen that work where like a uh, really memorable example is in the first season of Game of Thrones 
when the hound and the mountain are getting into a scuffle and you know bobby bobby baratheon stands stands up says in the name of your king halt and like instantly the hound takes the knee which which yep. which lets him duck this like decapitation stroke his brother stringing at him uh-huh. that was really fucking slick and it felt like they were going for something like this but you know, like why like, is he like the Vader before the Empire? Like when he gets a call from Roe, he takes a knee and is like, mm-hmm. Master, you know, like <laughs> what Sifu, Sifu Roe, what is going on? Uh, I, I didn't it did, didn't make sense in the context. If you have any ideas what the fuck he's doing, Picard at BaldMove.com. Yeah. Um, so let's go over to the next scene with them where they go to District 6. Um, apparently they're now feared because of killing uh, Sneed. Rafi announces a room that full of people. Yes, uh, in front of everybody. Rafi with announces, a sword, which must seem like insane in the 21st century. Some dude came in screaming with a sword and murdered a bunch of people. That <laughs> sure. I mean, what is the equivalent? Like someone coming in with like a stone axe, or, or like in a suit of armor, in a full plate armor thing. I don't even feel like even that's not anachronistic enough. Like, you know, swords, like, that's kind of crazy, but people do get killed with swords occasionally. It has to be something, mm-hmm. like, very, like a primitive Neolithic spear. Like, oh, my God, what do you get stabbed with? A piece of flint? What the fuck? <laughs> a yeah, st- just, crushes somebody with a stone wheel. I don't there know. It's <laughs> just clubbing <laughs> someone to death with a broken branch. It's something really uh, primitive and primal. Uh yeah, Rafi announces to the entire world that they're looking for Kryn. Worf kneels and waits for the ecology of District Six to right itself. And here I'm like, oh boy, have they taken Worf to New Agey? What's yeah. what's your feeling on that? And here's with the kneel and meditation, and I just don't know how it connects to the previous scene. Like, does Worf anytime he gets to where he doesn't know what to do next? either in beating up his student or waiting for the ecology of an underworld to he just, just pops a knee and starts meditating? I guess so. Yeah. Maybe it's just Michael Dorn showing off that at 70, he can still get on and off his knees. No <laughs> problem. He's a fucking athlete. Okay. Is that how old he is? Wow. I looked it up. He's seven years old and he moves well. Like I yeah. was like, he's get, he gets on his knees and gets and crucially back off those knees in a flash. Mm-hmm. And it's him. I don't think it's a stunt person. No, it seems like it's him. He's moves better than I will at 70. I can tell you that. I can promise you that. <laughs> Uh, so let's go back over to the USS uh, Intrepid arriving where the Titan is. The security officer insists they board the Titan via shuttle, which is very suspicious when you're dealing with changelings. Uh, Picard tells Seven he might need another favor, and then Shaw revels in the prospect of seeing Riker and Picard punished. I'm going to stop there for a second because I really love it. Uh, he's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. The Shaw is biased. Look, I saw Star Trek Generations. I saw Star Trek <laughs> Insurrection. I saw all good things. And I I feel like with maybe the exception of all good things, none of these were the Enterprise or Picard and Riker's fault. Like, Picard did not break the prime directive in, in Star Trek Insurrection. Starfleet was doing something horrible. It, it, yes. the, the, the civilization that was there, the Baku, d- did not did not qualify for Prime Directive because they were a warp-faring civilization already. They got yeah. to that planet by traveling there via warp from, from another star system. So that is not a Prime Directive violation in my mind. Yeah. No, they do... 
I mean, it is this one. It's it's kind of like uh, you, what what they played around with in the Marvel timeline. That like you have these people doing great things, and you have these awesome battles in these cities where things are blowing up. And then the next movie is like, you killed how many people? Mm-hmm. Um, like the fact that these people have been the center of saving the universe so many times, or the galaxy, I guess, implies that they've also been in the thick of a lot of shit and. I, I, I like I, I actually like this every once in a while where someone from outside the hero's perspective kind of like reformulates like, you know, not just that you guys. Yeah, you saved everybody in justified means, maybe. But oh, my God, so many people, so many people die on the Enterprise. Yeah, I, I love the line, uh, you know, when it comes to saving the the solar system or whatever you have a real chicken and egg thing happening <laughs> that's, that's pretty so good. great it's so great i mean uh-huh. yeah i mean how many times you've seen people in red or gold shirts on the enterprise d just suddenly grab their head and start screaming because some nebula babies imploding their guts or mm-hmm. you know q's decided he wants to teach humanity another lesson about getting too big for the britches or horrifying cyborg zombies invade and want to absorb your te- like it just happens all the time it's a day it's a dangerous post that's the thing uh and i think shaw has a moment of realization later where he understands that like this shit just finds picard right it's not like he goes out there and searches for what's the next dangerous adventure i can go on although uh, how, to how be, can i to be skirt, fair, how can i ride exactly. the edge of, of <laughs> violating the prime directive he never goes out and actually looks for that stuff but it comes to him because he's yeah. out there he's out there exploring right like that's out there on the edge of the fucking Romulan territory in the neutral That's zone. True. Like shit's going to happen out there, man. Yeah. And yeah. I think, no, I, and then, I think and he gets it by the end. And they definitely cast Shaw as a guy who, because of his experiences as a young person in Starfleet is extremely risk averse. Like, totally. I don't want to go gallivanting where I'm not supposed to go. I don't want to meet an, an omnipotent interdimensional being that's going to throw me to those aforementioned cyborg space zombies. I, I just want to do my parade for Frontiers Day, get my crew home safe, get my ship back in the port with all of its parts intact, and you know, do that until I retire. And that's just not—that's just not Picard and Riker. Oh, definitely not. I think earlier in the season he did call the Titan an exploration ship, which kind of surprises me that you'd put a guy like Shaw on an explore exploration ship i don't know Aren't all federation vehicles vessels technically exploration because like <laughs> sure that's what they call them even though they're heavily armed I mean, starfleet's yeah, not yeah. supposed to be a military organization even though uh-huh. it totally is but right hey, some are right purely that. research vessels they don't even have armaments or stuff but like yeah i don't know I, mm-hmm. you can't call something the titan and in good faith say it's an exploration <laughs> vessel the intrepid right. the indomitable the indestructible the mm-hmm. my the federation's cock bigger than yours like it's you can't you can't do that and not say that you're not inviting a challenge right do uss uh, enterprise 1701 big d yeah they just can't do that come on uh so the security officer arrives on the titan and turns out it's ro lauren uh, she says they're going to be questioned and might be charged with treason. Um, That's yeah. Uh, my my notes say Roe motherfucking Lauren. I was really pleased to see her show up. One of my mm-hmm. um, God, how many recurring characters were there? Because uh, I was like, it's like there one. I, I say she's one of my favorites, but like there's only a handful. You've got like the uh-huh. Voshes. 
You got the Rolarens. You've got the Broccoli's. You've got Leah who, Brahms. Who else we got? Leah Brahms. Was in a few episodes. For two episodes, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone that showed up that didn't, like Pulaski. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pulaski side character, not a fan. Uh, everybody else, you kind of, yeah. yeah, I kind of took a shine to. But yeah, I was like, uh, did you know that Rolaren was supposed to be Kira Norris in Deep Space Nine? But for whatever really? reason, they couldn't get a contract with her. So they invented uh, essentially a Michelle Forbes type character and gave it to Nana, right. Nana Visitor. Nana Visitor? That's, I, I really like Nana Visitor. I, I don't know how to say her first name. Uh, but yeah, I really like her. So I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. But also, I wonder what. Michelle Forbes. It would have been interesting role. to see the two commanders, essentially co-commanders of Deep Space Nine, both with personal issues with Picard. I mm-hmm. thought that would have been something interesting. And like I said, I really like Lo- uh, Ro Lauren. I really like Michelle Forbes. She's been in, mm-hmm. uh, she's been in a lot of Star Trek. Actually, she's shown up time and time again. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's so I guess we'll never know because you're right. I do like uh, the Kira Norris approach. Oh yeah, she's great. Uh, I will say another recurring character is Majel Barrett. She shows up all the time as Luxana. True, it, always a highlight. True. I I wouldn't mind seeing her back. Is she still alive? I don't even know. No, she died. She died. Oh, a, man, a, a couple years back. Um, that's unfortunate. But yeah, yeah, she's great. All right, let's uh go over to Seven hiding Jack Crusher. She gives him an outfit to wear, which is a Starfleet uniform. Jack doesn't want to wear it. And that's kind of that scene. Uh, I don't have anything to say. I'm itching to talk about this autopsy. Let's keep moving then. All right, Beverly does an autopsy on the Changeling. It turns out the Changeling has some biological features that might allow it to pass Starfleet screenings. Namely, it bleeds and it doesn't turn back to a liquid state when it dies. I did enjoy Crusher's clinical, like asking uh, Lieutenant LaForge or Ensign LaForge to verify that this is not, in fact, her body. And she just vomits. And like, <laughs> let the record show that Ensign LaForge has positively identified this is not her body. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this has some serious implications, I guess. Um, but is there like a more a, a thorough? Because, like, again, this seems silly, right? But in the context of this show where, like, I've seen each of the bridge crew being taken over by some uh, organism or replaced with clones mm-hmm. or whatever, like, at least five times, there's got to be a better way to verify that the right crew member died than saying to the living crew member, this is not you, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're selling me that this is indistinguishable from the real Ensign LaForge. So how do you know? What if it's just the greatest changeling character actor of all time? That was had a detailed briefing of LaForge's sure. career and life and, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of questions. Like, how does it get you... By looking at you, how does it reproduce you down to the genetic level? Um, mm. To where a scan Man. of your body... To where you could be transported. Yeah, literally read into a buffer of a transporter and not detected as a changeling. I'm guessing that has a way to sample the DNA. Like like little 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 taste like oh it's uh all right yeah it's the the bouquet of the DNA you know like a salmel salmelier uh-huh. 
Just knows. It sticks its proboscis down into the flower, uh, way down in there. Takes a little sample. Right, gets the nectar. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> More of a pseudopod than a proboscis when we're talking changelings, but uh, sure. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it also l- let me say this: Does why why evolve it like this? So why retcon? Hey, we all uh, go through scans now to make sure we're not changelings after the Dominion War before we get our post. Uh, only to then retcon again or not retcon but to change that again and evolve that to where oh actually those those detection things can't actually detect anything anymore because these things have evolved when in in deep space nine they never came up with a way to like determine hey this is a changeling versus this is the real person why not just leave it in that state they did have the blood test right like if you like you know they could sample your blood and if it turned into changeling in the chamber then they'd had you but there was also a surprising amount of ways that the changelings could get around that i remember one episode a changeling kept a vial of its subject's blood within its body kind of like suspended in the ooze and whenever someone wanted to take the test it would like you know shift it over there make, yeah shift it to where it's close and they take that sample uh also i think there's one memorable case where bashir of course as the doctor was the one administering all the tests and they just replaced bashir sure so sure that's easy you've enough. got garbage in garbage out um i, I kind of thought the same way it's like wow they already had the test that's going to be a part like why did they invent all this other but i guess it's just kind of like to make starfleet seem like they're not complete idiots you know like hey we actually had this whole system to make sure this thing that happened to us can't happen again and oh this is why it's not there's a new wrinkle so i guess that's fine it evolves like the, the blood test was all they needed you know like oh they can't do the blood test anymore yeah red alert here comes an ad break We're just under a month to go until Badass Fest 6. Each year, we take the blockbuster month of July to celebrate the 80s and 90s action stars we grew up with. Big guns, big muscles, bigger explosions. If it's dumb, fun, and kicking ass, we love it. This year, we're inviting you to our hometown to watch a secret badass film with us. Afterwards, we'll record the podcast. Get your tickets and full event info at baldmove.com live. No hints about the movie, except we're pretty sure most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be a real crowd pleaser. Our neighborhood theater features a full bar, all your favorite snacks, and we'll be providing some custom movie-themed cocktails. It's happening Friday, June 21st at 7 p.m. right here in the Queen City, Cincinnati. Get full details and tickets now at baldmove.com live. And hey, if you'll be in town on Saturday and have an appetite for outdoor adventure, join Aaron on an optional side quest as he guides a group of intrepid bald move kayakers down our national scenic river, the Little Miami. Once again, get full details on all main and side quests and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. 
We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, if very special isn't your speed, we've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Let's boldly go back to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast maneuver. Uh, we go over to Picard, who's pissed that Roe-Lauren is back in Starfleet. He doesn't believe it should be impartial based on their history. Then Roe shows up in the room, dismisses Riker so she can question Picard. And he immediately starts attacking her verbally. Um, she takes it to mean that he thinks she's a changeling, so she slices her hand to prove she has blood, which... As we know, watching Beverly, that proves Just nothing. Just made me suspect her more. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Where's your fucking earring, too, lady? I know how important that shit is to you. And then she turns the conversation over to his son, Jack. Jack. Uh, yeah, I, I was doing the same. I'm like, man, the way they are structuring this episode is very good because it has me... It, right. It, the fact that she's trying to prove that she's not a changeling makes me more suspicious of her. Just like yeah. you said. Um, I think Picard was ranting and raving about Rolaren more than was quite necessary. Like, more I, I more just than recently justified watched, by their history, I think. But I mean, they definitely played that as if it was a betrayal. Uh-huh, you know uh-huh. that like uh, he trusted her and he put her, gave her all the special training, and uh, you know she used that against uh, the Federation. You know she joined the Maquis, which. Like I said, I don't I don't know if I'd be a Maquis joiner, but like I definitely think they had a point. Right? I'm sympathetic to them. Yes, I'm sympathetic to their cause. They're not insane people. They're and not after people seeing about honor. Either. Another another character who was deep into that as well, uh, into that fighting with uh-huh. Kieran Reese and, uh-huh. and really sympathizing with her and, and liking her. I'm, I'm even less opposed to it. Right. Right. And Picard liked it for this to be like, even Riker points out like this is 30 years ago. Why are you so fucking? Ex- and I don't think the episode has an answer. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just wish they'd play Picard like more coolly in charge, like knowing that they have a history and using that to again, you know, the fact that they, they had this mentor mentee and that she's aware that he's this like use that rather than just be this openly antagonistic asshole who's just r- literally ranting and raving. Like yeah. we oh we start the scene with him just in full like I I don't know man yeah it it doesn't I don't because Picard can get like this from time to time he's certainly no stranger to but he rebelled against the Federation for almost the exact same <laughs> thing in a fucking movie uh huh this is true oh you don't oh you suddenly you're gonna go against federation when you don't agree with their fucking uh re re uh what what a relocation policies yeah insurrection sure uh especially when like i can't i don't remember exactly all the specifics of that but like this wasn't like a death march of baton this was this was like they were going to be herded they're going to without their knowledge be put aboard a hollow vessel Mm-hmm. To take their primitive p- 
play to, to some other planet that is indistinguishable from their home world, they would essentially never even know they got they got they got moved until and they started Picard's aging like, and dying. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. Uh-huh. But like Picard is like all up again. All you're effectively to that. killing him. That, 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 so that was the problem I had. Well, so so was abandoning Federation colonists them. to the Cardassians is effectively killing them. Sure. We in fact yeah. we saw when Wesley turned into a traveler, we got to see exactly what's going to be butchery, savagery. Oh yeah, I, I'm very sympathetic to the Bajoran cause whether or not i believe in the maquis like tactics especially uh, since if i recall correctly the 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 first planet where the maquis war actually began was a settlement of native americans who had been looking for a home ever since the like 19th century when they're kicked off where they would where where they settled ten thousand years yeah, it was it was a planet of Native Americans. Like, oh my God, I find we finally found some place where no one will fuck with us, and the Federation sells <laughs> oh, it to Cardassians, and they get ran wow. off to let's like you. So so really, Picard can't see any any daylight between a reasonable position. Yeah, no, I it's, it seems insane. Yeah, yeah, Picard is on one here. He uh, is on but, one, and yes. he will be for the rest of the episode too. He, he, we rehash this several times where they like dance around it a little bit and then get distracted, and they dance around it some more, get distracted. When they shut off Data's like memory program in the first season, did he get his emotion chip too? Does that you know? It's like, yeah. hey, you're a positronic android now. You're going to want one of these. Flip <laughs> up his fingernail, plug it in. Suddenly, he's just like seventeen year old hormonal. Uh-huh. He's got double the emotions that he should have. <sighs> Great. Double double the emotions, double the dumbass is what I say. <laughs> All right, Jack, here's more voices um telling him to connect us. I I don't know, there's some weird stuff going on. He goes to the transporter room and sees another tentacle vision. He asks the transporter operator to send him anywhere other than a Starfleet ship and shoots him when he refuses. Of course, it's all still part of the vision. And then he runs away. I don't know how I Am feel I... about all these visions, man. This this stuff is like, how many times are you going to do this? How many times are you going to show me something happening and then take that away? Take it back? Yeah. Eh, we don't yeah. mean it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, was I wrong to root for Jack to shoot this transporter chief in the face? Because I feel like every time a transporter chief goes down, we're this much closer to getting Miles O'Brien back, back, True. back, working to three switches. Only so many transporter chiefs in Starfleet. <laughs> it's true. That's right. And apparently it takes a high level of skill to operate those three sliders. You do, you do. You got the you got the treble, the bass, and the mid range. You don't want <laughs> sure. if you get any of those wrong, it's it's all your track won't come out right. It, it's weight have... it's weight, height, and and demeanor, I guess. <laughs> those are the sliders. And if you mix one a little too high, you're no, come it's, back with, it's, with Tom it's, it's height, weight, and gender presentation, and that third that, that shit gets really tricky. You gotta you oh, gotta get it dialed in just one. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. It's yeah. most most transporter chiefs don't age out or die; they get canceled. So <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's true. Miles Miles always gets that shit right. Impeccable. Mm-hmm. Is there a bar for washed up? transporter chiefs out there <laughs> it's the third it's called the third slider uh-huh the final slider <laughs> you slid into this bar stool and you're here for the rest of your life <laughs> i love it that's the holodeck program i want to see 
Uh, where were we? Oh yeah, the visions and stuff. Um, let's go over to Rafi and Worf again. Uh, Kryn shows up. He shoots Rafi, but she was a hologram, so it doesn't matter. She planned on covering <laughs> Worf with the rifle, even if, it, even if it was real Rafi. Still, nobody, nobody, nobody's light, uh, putting a letter campaign to pair him out to save Rafi. Yeah. Not her husband, not her son, not her granddaughter. <laughs> Especially not her son. <laughs> nope. Oh, thank uh, God, I've been called to peace. <laughs> so she planned on covering Warp with a rifle from the rooftop, but she gets captured too. Uh, and that's kind of where God, we God, the look it. on her face when she gets, like, it's so fucking funny. I can't even tell you what the emotion is, but it's not the right one for the situation. So... <laughs> This is like one of those plans that is so precisely calculated that it seems impossible uh, to go off the way they want it to. I always hate this. It always feels artificial. Like, I know that we're going to go into this situation. I'm going to have a hologram of Rafi. He's going to shoot Rafi. He's going to take us into custody. He's going to make us fight with knives. I'm going to pretend to be dead, and then I'm going to pop up and get him. That is the plan here. It Everything has to go precisely how they expect it to go in order for this plan to work. There is no wiggle room. If he shoots Worf instead of Rafi, it's game over. Uh, if if he doesn't make them fight with knives, if he just shoots, if he makes them swim with sharks or something, it's over. Like, <laughs> there, there's, yeah. I, I don't like these plans. I really don't. I think it works because the Vulcan has agency and he's the one deciding who to shoot. He knows that Rafi, he, I didn't, he didn't shoot Rafi just a shooter. He knew that Rafi was a hollow and he's trying to stop Worf shit of being, we've got the upper hand here. And he's like, no, you don't. I, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to, 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 to get in a battle of wits with a fucking Vulcan. Mm-hmm. No, no way. Like maybe your best and your brightest, but like you're a seven year old Klingon and she's half half snake leaf uh, muddled, and you're just not going to outthink me, okay? Well, this is a particularly dumb Vulcan. They make it a point. You know, he's joined up with the crime syndicate. He thinks there can be no utopia without crime. Well, that's uh, true. This is kind of a dumbass Vulcan. Did you notice? Did you notice this, the pendant he was wearing? This is a deep Star no. Trek cut. He's wearing this this pendant that's uh, a symbol for the Vulcan philosophy of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Huh. And it's it's okay. it's a it's a it's a sphere with a with a, uh, a triangle uh, uh, overlaid it. And this showed up in the old series, I think, in season three of the uh, of Star Trek, and uh, just out of nowhere, like. Uh, Spock's got this, he's rocking this necklace and he's talking about how it's his, uh, ain't Rodmary came up with this to sell merch and it actually wow. pissed off Leonard Demoy. He's like, you're betraying the artistic integrity of this series by trying to hawk this stupid shit and trying to get like, you know, and Rodmary said, this. you want a fucking paycheck or not? And he's like, did you not just see that we got canceled last season? I'm trying to make uh. this fucking show work. Okay. Um, so this has kind of been this, like the shameful thing in star trek history and it comes up every once and again as like a really deep cut and i like that this gangster vulcan is completely rocking the vulcan (laughs) infinite diversity infinite combination symbol yeah diversity like utopia and criminals those are diverse yeah 
Well, I mean, I, it's, it's like the thing is, is like you can make it mean anything. Like if it's something bad's happening, infinite diversity, if it's something really amazing, isn't it diversity, infinite combinations? Like essentially anything it's can a happen. It's sort of thing. <laughs> it was supposed to be like the Vulcans, like it's that. I, I think the idea is like from all of these desperate things, you can achieve uh, a, a harmonious, bl- a harmonious blend of truth. Okay. Like, there's all this random shit happening in the galaxy, but through care, study, and logic, you can make sense of it. You know? Um, but also, right. yeah, I, I think it's also could be Murphy's. Like, you could easily turn that around to be the Vulcan's Murphy's Law. Sure. If something can go wrong, I will go wrong. Except, you know, if you're having a good time, bad times are going to come, <laughs> etc. If you want a utopia, you got to have crime. If you want a utopia, you got to have a little crime. Because how would you even know you were in a utopia? Right? You couldn't recognize it as such. That's the thing that uh, pisses me off about that line. Right. You, won't, you, you don't have to recognize you're in something in order to be in something, right? Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, kind of annoyed me here, but whatever. It's fine. Uh, let's go back over to Beverly continuing her autopsy. The changelings have apparently evolved and could be anyone, anywhere, and they'd never know. Um, this is the scene where she cuts the goo into microscopic bits and it reverts. She <laughs> she um, she uses this term. She says, only under intense dissection does it revert back to its original state. I don't think that's a medical term. I, I don't intense think intense dissection? Intense intensive dissection what the fuck does intensive dissection mean like uh, it's if like you it's are diced compared to chopped i guess <laughs> but like like dissecting is just taking things apart right you know uh-huh. so like intensive i don't understand it's like you're unless you're just like cutting things to cut things like you're just cutting yeah. a steak that's intensive dissection i suppose but i, I just thought it's really funny under intensive dissection I also love the idea that intensive dissection in Beverly's mind is to just cut th- something into a small piece with a knife. Right. They have they have machines that can break it down to its subatomic particles sure. and examine so it. That thing, but that's yeah. not an intense dissection. It's <laughs> can we dice yeah. this thing? Can we? Do can you, we? Yeah. Do you not have a medical transporter? You can real. You literally break this down into subatomic particles. Mm-hmm. And reassemble it. You can tell whatever me how you... many fucking electrons are in that thing, but somehow yeah. cutting it into small pieces is the thing. I always thought that was wild. That like the medical, like um, Beverly in the Enterprise has a sick bay that has a hot, like a med bay scanner that's somehow more advanced than the transporter. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a some sort of imaging process that can tell you more about the internal pathology of something than literally taking it apart at the quark level, the quark and gluon level. That I but you know I don't maybe know. maybe it just records more properties about a thing, right? You don't uh, like I don't need to know what Lego is made of in order to disassemble and reassemble Lego. But oh, maybe her machine much. can tell you it's it's this type of plastic and it was manufactured in this gotcha. year and like that kind of thing. It's like the transport is too much data. It's like you can't see the forest for the trees type of deal. Whereas... Oh, no, I mean the medical the medical version of it is telling you all that extra data, whereas the transporter regular, which is called transporter light, uh, just needs to know how do I put this thing back together after I've disassembled it. All right. 
It's my guess. Un- I'm I unpersuaded, know. but all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, Ro continues interrogating Picard. Beverly sends him a message with the discovery she's made about changeling evolution and to trust no one. Picard tests Ro by asking her how she got back into Starfleet. She tells him the story and then demands to see the remains of the changeling they killed. Um, you want to talk about this before we go to the holodeck scene? Uh, no. I mean, they're just essentially uh, banging home that this woman's probably a changeling. Um, and yeah. we, we've kind of already talked about, like, I just don't find Picard's side of this conversation persuasive, knowing what I know about Picard and what he's gotten up to. And, like, the fact he's had 30 years to think about it. The fact that he had, mm. you know, it's it's one thing to say in the moment that it's immoral to leave the Federation and join the Maquis. 30 years later, you know... Like mm-hmm. I don't I, like surely there's like some kind of like moral consensus on this. Like was the the Ma- Maquis a doomed but noble and because uh, like my recollection is the Maquis stuff all kind of like got dropped because the Dominion came and like everything else is small potatoes. Sure. Like Makes everyone sense. in the Alpha Quadrant had to band together, Cardassians included. Or were they? Were the Cardassians collaborators? Yeah. Um, I I, I want to say they might have been both. I can't remember exactly. They started off and then they switched sides when... I, I think so, but it's been a while. <laughs> I gotta, so, I, I'm yeah, in the I, middle... I'm in like season two of a Deep Space Nine rewatch, so I'll yeah, know like I, I thought I thought Picard was boorish and rude. I thought Rolaren was awesome and well-spoken. Um... You know, like she's correct every single time that uh, Picard is talking about personal honor. He was conflating it with the essentially honor reputation of Starfleet, which is totally you know, has you know, especially especially if you just all Rolarn's a Bajoran. Mm-hmm. Do, I mean, Do you expect them not to fight back against their like, oppressors. I understand that Picard was disappointed when Worf left his commission to go fight in the Klingon Civil War. Mm-hmm. But where was all the condemnation and high dudgeon when that happened? You know, like Worf was allowed to go yeah. again, fight in the Klingon Civil War, lead battle cruisers against, bro- you know, brother versus brother, battle cruiser versus battle cruiser. He comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm ready to come back. And I think Picard gave him some shit about it. But like, yeah, she's a Bajoran. Of course, she's going to f- f- side against the, the Cardassians he, when they're brutalizing right. her people. He, he hasn't been thinking about Worf leaving for 30 years, right? And rehearsing conversations about what to say to him, how to really get him. I guess, yeah. The fact, yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. The fact that he's rehearsed this conversation for 30 years, including memorizing in Bajoran, apparently. It's just, it's just really funny to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, they're on their way to sickbay, but Road detours Picard into the holodeck at gunpoint. Picard manages to, and this never amounts to anything. I don't even know why it's in here. Picard manages to discreetly turn off the safety protocols in the holodeck and puts a phaser on Row. I love that there's just a button always present and, and labeled as such to disable safety protocols in the holodeck. Like, what right. purpose? I've seen people do it, and it's usually they say, computer, disable safety protocols. Right. Uh, they say it. They don't have a button somewhere under the bar that's, I don't know. And why are you allowed to weird. do that? Like, I can understand if the captain could be allowed or, like, select, but, like, Worf, sure, as a junior lieutenant in season one, goes in there and turns him off just to, like, fucking throw around a bunch of He-Man monsters. Feel alive, because, yeah. Yeah, just to feel <laughs> alive. Like, shouldn't that raise a... Shouldn't that have mandatory... Like, like Deanna Troy is waiting for him outside. Like, Worf... 
Mm-hmm. Notice you have some aggression lately. You've been you've been recreationally snapping necks in an environment to get you killed. Can mm-hmm. we talk about that? You know, like it's, it's just, part of my culture. Yeah, it's part of. Yeah, well, okay, I got to back off on that. But uh huh. Anyway, they talk about their long uh Really? History. All Klingons are just violent assholes? Isn't that even more racist than me not respecting your culture to assume that all oh, totally. Klingons are just 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 biologically beholden to their 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 drives and like it can't something they can't overcome, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, you got me there. Um yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's uh <laughs> there's a lot of black and white sort of stuff pun intended. Um that it happens Sometimes in, in the Trek. old series, literally, literally, black yeah. and white. <laughs> in case you missed the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they talk about their history long enough to prove that neither of them is a changeling, and then Roe reveals why she's really here to tell Picard that Starfleet is compromised at the highest level. I really thought when they stepped into this holodeck that it was Moriarty time. Oh yeah. I'm. I'm oh, waiting. I wonder... I'm like, how do they get him back in here? This is an opportunity, but nope. I wonder if they're going to leave the safety locks off this whole time and Moriarty's going oh, somehow. No. <laughs> this is. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's an unintended consequences. Oh, you're right. Because why else turn them off here? It amounts to nothing. Yeah. I uh, also. He never says. He, that's a hilarious thing to me is he pulls a phaser, a hollow phaser on Roe and never tells her that the safety protocols are off. She just assumes that this phaser is going to do something. That's true. Why wouldn't she think? But she's got a gun on him, too. Uh-huh. Why would you take him to the holodeck where this is the one place where you like you? Sh- I believe in the holodeck with the safety protocols on. She could discharge that phaser right in Picard's face and nothing would happen. Right. What <laughs> what is going on there? I don't know. So she assumes so, that he turned the safety protocols off? I, I think it's because they asked the previs department to come up with a whole bunch of sick Lycar shit for the end credits, and someone mm-hmm. threw in a holodeck with 10 forward with the safeties turned off, and they're like, ah, there it's you now go. or never, baby. It's now or never. <laughs> now, I, yeah. It's got, because like the thing is, is yeah, they we got to get LaForge still to go. We haven't gotten Moriarty. There's a lot, like, it's more, like, we're going to be hip deep in this fucking, uh, uh, changeling arc and lore and Moriarty are going to show up. Surely a, an episode they get an episode each, so there's three other they episodes where they can actually deal with this. Uh, it's it's insane storytelling. Speaking of insane storytelling, did you think that they're going to pop a romantic angle between Ro, uh, Ro and and Picard here? Because the way they were oh, talking no. about their close relationship and how heartbroken they were, and how you were my older male mentor, and that you were my young protege, I was I was like, <laughs> I did never in a second got that there was anything between Ro and Picard, but I, yeah. I and I don't think they got there. But man, the dialogue they were spitting had me thinking that they were going there. Sure, I I suppose I, it didn't really cross my mind. Um, and that's one of the things I like about Star Trek is you don't have to have, you know, these very attractive people having romantic entanglements all the time. You can have a very yeah. intimate, but a very like platonic relationship between characters. Uh, sure. uh, who, you know, other shows might try and pair off, right? Well, no, also, uh, I was actually even, thinking even about it did, the other day. Like, 
like like Riker and Deanna many times uh-huh. I was part of the plot like someone would come in and be like oh you're gonna be jealous and Riker's like absolutely not I love Deanna I want the best if you can make her happy go for it and her felt the same way about him right. like not modeling ideal. mature adult mm-hmm. behavior right 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 so I love that Star Trek but uh, who knows if that would happen here but I'm glad they don't go down that route because yeah it, se- it seems like they went down the animosity route instead uh, just Picard's still offended that he got betrayed 30 years later. Uh, she claims that Picard always mistook morality for duty. I have a hard time. I have a hard time squaring that circle. Um, I've always seen Picard as a man who is driven by a deep sense of morality and breaks code all the time. I mean, if you want in the span of a single episode for Shaw to make a point about violating the prime directive in order to save a bunch of people in insurrection from being transported off their home planet and effectively sentenced to death. You can't then make the point that Picard mistakes morality for duty all the time. Mm, Right. Because those two things are mutually exclusive or they're not mutually exclusive, but he can do them at different times, but they're not always the way he operates. Um, And I've seen him time and time again, say, well, this is not the right thing to do, and so we're not going to do it. Or the right thing is to do this, so we're going to do it, regulations be damned. I, Picard's yeah. a guy who's deeply driven by morality. Yeah, it's, the way, it's like the way people debate shit online. Like, did, did someone do something one time that you personally don't like? Well, then they're fucking, that's just what they do. And if someone does stuff sure. all the time that you kind of like or want to excuse, well, then that's not a big problem. It's just like, you know, like mm-hmm. taken into his totality, Picard is nothing like what Shaw or Roe is trying to paint him as. But like right. this show is fine. Like it, fe- it feels like Picard's defensive about it. Like, oh, God, uh-huh. you hit, you, you're hitting me too close to the mark. I'm like, Picard, he's too fucking old and too self-possessed to be like getting angry at these kind of attacks. Yeah, it's kind of like I like the way he handled Shaw. Like he's like he doesn't have to defend himself. He doesn't have to defend himself from the little cutest libel. Exactly. Like you know, he spent his whole life living that shit down. And better better people than Shaw have pointed has thrown it into his face, right? Mm-hmm. But here, robot. It's like again, it's like they have a special bond, uh, just based on the you and I of everything. It's just I just thought it was really weird. Yeah, I mean, their just, their history is is such that I would buy some kind of bond, but well, and that's the thing. I I've feel never like they're seen, fundamentally miscategorizing Picard in these scenes. It's wild to me that you have this writing room that clearly has a lot of deep affection for Star Trek and appreciation for its lore, and mm-hmm. yet cannot get its hands around the whole thing. Sure. Or maybe they just see that's a feature. They can just cherry pick and, you know, any, you know, anyone can be anything depending on, you know, you get the right episode to showcase it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess when they do things like this, I expect them to be making a point that Shaw is wrong or a point that Roe is wrong. Um, But I don't feel like they're actually trying to get there. I feel like Uh -uh. they have an idea of a large theme that they want to go for, which is kind of, I don't know, Picard is questioning his own life and his own motivations. And these people coming to him and saying, pointing to specific instances and saying, blah, 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 you did this wrong is kind of feeding into that, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite feel right to me. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we talked about Starfleet, Starfleet being compromised again. It was the Romulans before. Now it's changelings. This is always happening. 
Um, Starfleet, have you ever tried not compromising? It might it might be the way to go. It might be the play. Hmm. Could be. not compromising, not being compromised. Uh, I guess I like the end of this scene where you have to Picard is asked to trust someone who's betrayed him, right? I mean, that, that's the one thing that stands that definitely is true is she betrayed Picard. Uh, yeah. And Starfleet um, with her actions way back when. So I, I think it's kind of interesting to say, do you trust me? And Picard has to think about it for a second uh, and say, yes, finally. I think it'd be interesting if they dwelled a little bit on why she came back to Starfleet, too. She, like, came back to Starfleet after, I guess, the whole Maquis thing. They, that's very murky, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it so is. you left and you joined a terrorist organization. And you came. he's like, they, they, they did the, the how and what, but they didn't do the why. Like, did you have a change of heart? Do you no right. longer agree with the Maquis? Were you, you know, did, did you decide that the Dominion was a greater threat? Like, what brought you back into the fold? They never really answered that. It's just how I got back into the fold. Uh-huh. You're right. Uh, so, Kryn makes Worf and Rafi fight to the death with knives, and Rafi kills Worf? Question mark? Uh... There, this, this was a non-starter for me. You don't stab Worf in the guts at the hand of Rafi and have him die for all time. This was obvious. I obviously just, not how Worf dies. I just about, like I said, because I was getting, I'm like, oh my God, if Rafi kills Worf forever and ever, I don't know I'll ever, I'll ever get <laughs> no. over it. Right, because it's so stupid. I, I knew, yeah. well, maybe, maybe I have too much faith in this crew, but I knew as soon as it happened, there's no fucking way this is how Worf goes out. This is all a ruse. Yeah, Rafi's still a recurring character. She's not part of the bridge crew. Like, imagine if Barkley had murdered Riker, <laughs> you know, and it's like, sure. that's it. That's it. She's just like, or if, if some kind of blob of oil killed Tasha Yar, it would just be an outrage. <laughs> just be an outrage. You you, you could uh-huh, not stand. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I was I was glad to see he didn't die. But also, he looked like he was dying. So I was briefly concerned when I first watched this. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I thought, you know, again, Michael Dorn is clearly loving this. He's been trying to get a Captain Worf series off the ground for like a decade, and he has clearly came to play. He understands his assignment, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when he's like, uh, picks up the knife, it's like, do not hold back, because I cannot, as he as he opens up the attack. But mm-hmm. also, the other the thing is like, we just saw Worf easily defeat Rafi. Yeah. In hand to hand combat. So like our first clue that this isn't for for real should have been that like Worf shouldn't like even the even the Romulan or the, I'm sorry, the, the Vulcan mm-hmm. who doesn't know them like we know. It's like gave a 10 to one odds for Worf. So like, yeah. Yeah. But he also says today is a good day to die, which is cool. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's a it's a worthy death. Although dying the world, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if snake leaf killing you is a worthy death. Worf. <laughs> no. All right, Ro thinks everyone's a changeling. She lays out her evidence for a conspiracy. Picard asks what it has to do with Jack, but she has no idea. Picard wants to take it to his friends in Starfleet, and Ro doesn't think it's possible. Um, apparently, she's been gathering evidence and information, and the changelings are close. She's warning him. Kind of getting to is... a lot of this later. But... Yeah, like the plot's starting to, like, you know, we realize that the two security assets are uh Rafi and Worf and that's kind of cool like I started to get excited at this point 
And yeah. this this uh, this uh, this um, compromising of Starfleet is she t- says dozens of Starfleets or multiple incidences. Uh, she thinks mm-hmm. it's something new this Frontiers Day because the whole fleet's going to be on display and exposed, but the security procedures are encrypted even from Starfleet intelligence. It's like something bad. Like we've been, been told this all season, but something really bad is coming. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's go back to Kryn, who t- starts having Worf dragged away. Uh, tells Rafi, you work for me now, threatening her family. Worf's dead body wakes up. And it kills all the Kryn's henchmen, puts a knife to his neck. Um, apparently, Worf can tank a knife in the guts and meditate until his heart stops. Uh, Kryn tells them that he has a device that can get them past Daystrom's security, and it's logical that he give it to them. I I like this. The uh, you know the the Vulcan says when when Worf picks up the blade to stab Rav, I say, oh, Klingons rarely disappoint, and when Worf shows up and puts a knife to his like Klingons never disappoint. That was great. <laughs> and his whole I've mastered the Kales technique of regulating my heart. And as he says it, he starts to kind of get woozy because mm-hmm. yeah, but also you've lost a lot of blood because Rafi realized stabbed you to pull this off. I guess right. this is something they worked out, you know. Oh, so, so it's all they- part of the plan, yeah. How do you work something like that out? So I'm saying, man, it has to go exactly right, right in yeah. every detail. This, this part of it is like, yeah, if if they may, I, I kind of was hoping I thought it'd be more awesome if Rafi had no idea what was going on. And Worf is such a skillful warrior that he redirected a non-fatal <laughs> blow. <laughs> it's like that would be convincing. Our flag means death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I haven't seen that far, but like, I, I thought it'd be even more than her being like, I didn't stab you too deep. That I was like, when did you work this out? Right. Is this like Worf being like, now look, this guy's whole thing is he has people. He's seen the dark night too many times. He loves a brick acoustic, <laughs> throw it down and say, there's only one opening in my criminal. Like, I don't know. I, this show, and that's, that's the sign of a less skillful writing endeavor is when you have to continually keep shit from the audience. Mm-hmm. Because there's no fucking way you can track a plot from A to B to C to D. You just have to go from A to D because really B and C happened off screen right now, right here. So no one yeah. can second guess this. No one can be like, does this make sense? So, yep. With rare exception. All right, back to Rose. She gives Picard the Titan and a skeleton crew and leaves him with her Bajoran earring. Um,. And there's there's a nice moment here for Ro as she leaves, you know, with her line, I only did what I thought was best. Um, all the stuff she's saying to Picard here, it, it hits home. I like it because uh, that's what everybody does, right? They do what they think is best. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, how do you fault uh, them for it? Right. But it's a trite setting because some people don't put a lot of or it's a trite saying because it's all about the the level of care that you put into determining what was best and then doing yeah. what you thought equals that right totally because that can and literally it was a sticky situation anything. and i i think that everybody in that situation was doing what they thought was best yeah. and nobody was like truly in the wrong but they were at, at odds with each other i mean that's just the scenario they were put in i mean that's the best you can ever hope for is that like <laughs> I mean, ultimately, that's how we define justice in the the country. Like, if if a of a room full of twelve random people look at your case and be like, "eh, that's about right," then you can mm-hmm. do almost anything. 
But if right. they're like, nah, fuck, that's beyond the pale or, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, you're going to fry or whatever. So, like, yeah. But it is, I think it, 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 I guess it means something because of what they've built this up, this up in the episode. You know, this whole, like, like they've both been tortured for 30 years over Picard's misunderstanding of her intentions. Mm-hmm. Which I don't believe. But if I did, I guess it's would <laughs> Sure, be sure. And it, it kind of goes to the larger theme of this episode and I guess this series in a lot of ways um, with what Shaw's saying about, you know, the adventures that Riker and Picard have been on and how dangerous and crazy those seem. Well, Picard's always just doing what he thinks is best. And sometimes it doesn't line up with what Shaw would do. Set phasers to add. We'll be right back. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right. I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into season two. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked. And they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Captain on the bridge. Welcome back to the podcast maneuver. Um, Let's move over to Picard going to the bridge and updating everyone on the situation, telling them they have to run. He implores Shaw to trust him. She's not really inclined to do. Um, that's a kind of a quick scene there. Rose shuttles mm-hmm. back to the Intrepid, but her security officers, who turn out to be changelings, transport back onto the Titan, planting a bomb on her shuttle as they go. Uh, Rose calls back to the Titan to warn them. They try to transport her out, but there's an inhibitor, presumably in the bomb. Uh, she rams the shuttle bomb into the Intrepid, disabling its warp engines. Then the Titan arms torpedoes and orders, uh, so, sorry, not the Titan, the Intrepid arms torpedoes and orders the Titan to surrender. <laughs> Picard be like, row, row, I see you, if only now. And she's like, does that disable my bomb? Oh, no, okay, well, fuck you then. Boom, blows up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I really love the design of the bomb. It's like these futuristic Nixie tubes or something. I, mm-hmm. 
It's kind of neat. Um, and I assume that's just like changeling numbers, right? This is the language. I would think so. Yeah. Or the... yeah, it looked very predator countdowny, you know. Totally. Yeah. And then, like every bomb should come with a transporter inhibitor because the like uh-huh. easiest thing in the world is to beam a bomb off to space where it can't do any harm. So like, yeah, you had the inhibitor. Right. It's a little yeah, extra wh- money, why, but why was the yeah why was it. the go to move not to beam the bomb off the ship instead of beaming the person off the ship? Because like, mm. or do both? You got more than one transporter. Uh, you got to lock, lock on, on something, and can you can you lock on an unknown device faster than you can unlock lock on someone's com badge and life's? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. That's why you need Miles O'Brien. You need Transporter Chief Miles O'Brien in here. Get <laughs> you a Transporter Chief that can do both. He can yeah. save the shuttlecraft. He can save your Starfleet intelligence liaison. He can, he, yeah. Tra- he'll transport in a rack to Geno as well, if you want I, one. Don't don't <laughs> care if it, how faint that transporter signal is. He's going he's gonna to have it handled. Uh-huh. He'll reprogram the computer with a better interface. By the time he leaves, we need Miles O'Brien on this ship. Does Shaw finally get it in this scene that this shit finds Picard? Picard doesn't go looking for it necessarily. There's a look on his face at the end of this scene that's like, well, goddamn, I thought I was out of this. I thought this was all taken care of, calling in Starfleet, getting them on the case, and dealing with this shit. Now it's escalated again. This is, this is just getting out of, that, out of grasp he, here. That he understands what Picard goes through on a daily basis, or is it more of like... Because definitely he's he had the dawning understanding, I guess I thought the understanding was that this entire time he's looked to kick the can. Like, you know, I'm not going to go on your harebrained mm-hmm. adventure. I'm going to confine you to quarters. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to... Uh, he's trying to get out the whole time, and he finally thinks, ah, Federation's here. The paddy wagon's here. I'm done with all these fucking people. And it turns out the Federation has mm-hmm. been compromised. Starfleet's been compromised, and he's like, I guess we're going to do this. I don't know if he's ready to forgive Picard, because he still probably f- blames Picard for showing up, but... Oh, yeah, he blames Picard for a lot of stuff, but uh, but he should at least appreciate that it doesn't always go according to plan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, they talk Shaw into running. He orders Red Alert and to leave as soon as Warp is back online. Uh, the changelings find Jack in the hall and try and beat him, but he kills them all. Then the intrepid fires on them, but they manage to warp away just in time. God, that's the other thing about the Jack of it all is that they have established that Starfleet in particular, which means the changelings want Jack. And they've wanted mm-hmm. him for months before this stuff has started. Like, I, I, I hope they have a really good answer for that. Because just and being Jean Luc's son is not enough. Because Jean Luc was minding his own goddamn yeah. business until you started to get Jack. Like if you hadn't got Jack, you might, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. This, this, I, I hope they have a really good answer for why he seems to be the linchpin of these plans. And I, I don't know, he, he is some kind of like super agent. Yeah, he's got like Jason Bourne activations when he just thinks about red vines hard enough. No, it's pretty cool. Um. I just have a problem with this from like a a meta writing perspective. Like you introduce the concept of the changelings and they can't be detected easily. Um, And there are now four on the ship and it's like, holy shit, this is going to be a huge problem for them. But then in the very next scene, 
Jack just dispatches every single changeling on board. Yeah. I'm like, why why go to the effort of like creating this scenario where where they they plant a bomb and they leave the ship, but they don't go back to the intrepid, they go to the Titan because that's gonna be dangerous, and then just kill them? Just kill them all? Yeah. What's the point? Why? I don't know. Five more episodes to explain, I guess. Yeah. All right, Riker and Picard talk about Roe. Riker shows Picard that her earring has data in it, all the data from her investigation. It also receives a transmission, which is from Worf, and he asks where Roe is. Uh, apparently, Worf knew the identity of his handler. That was surprising to me. Yeah, I thought that they he would it'd be another text exchange. Uh huh. You know, like it's like it, that felt very compartmentalized, like a Starfleet intelligence operation. Like no one knows who is the level above them, et cetera. Right. But it also didn't, you know, Worf is, uh, he's been around the block. Mm-hmm. They have personal dealings with each other. Maybe like they figured it out or surmised or, you know, maybe at the uh, top. Uh, also, he's a contractor, not a Starfleet officer. So maybe you have to be a little bit more f- full disclosure f- for him. You can't just order someone to go to this, pl- you know, um, I don't know. But I, I did Possibly. like, I did like the realization of who they're talking to and who he's talking to. That was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I assume they're gonna. This is how they're gonna get together, right? Uh, they're gonna fly to Has wherever to Worf is, pick him up, and they'll all start this search together. The Titan's gonna be the hub of the investigation into the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they have to of, get Shaw on board of, at this point, right? Yeah, because he's yeah. got command again. I think he is. I mean, that's the thing is, I guess he's yeah. on board with running. Will he be on board for anything past that, or will they have to like right. you know do a mutiny? <laughs> Another one. <laughs> Another mutiny. Well, I mean, he volunteered. Well, I don't think it's a mutiny. He stepped down, like you know. Yeah, and I guess Seven didn't qualify as a mutiny. She didn't try and take over the Titan. Uh, she mm-hmm. just gave them a, a shuttle. Insubordination, fail to follow orders, theft. Of, yeah, a lot of stuff, but sure. not mutiny. Not mutiny. Uh, the final scene here is Shaw sees the aftermath of Jack killing changelings. Beverly talks to Jack about the nightmares he's been having since he was a baby and encourages him to talk to her. He tells her that he thinks there's something very wrong with him. I would agree. I, I agree, man. It sounds, <laughs> the sounds of swords and battle ringing in your ears. That's, that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. That's, that's not healthy behavior, man. Um, but what it is, says, I could not tell you. It's, as well, like this last line blows up my theory that the red vines are somehow telling him who is infected and who's not because he says that he killed all four right. of these without knowing they're changelings. It's like it just kind of right. happened automatically. Yeah, um, which is very much like a Jason Bourne amnesia. Yeah. I didn't know I had these skills kind of thing, right? Yeah, maybe he'll dig a microfish out of his back that will give him galactic <laughs> coordinates that will tell us where to go. You think you think just transport it out? Instead of digging it out, but oh no, Beverly's had a taste for uh, (laughs) intense dissection. Intensive dissection, and yeah, she's (laughs) she's just dissecting anything. Uh huh. Yeah, she gets no frog. No no frog in biology is safe. Mm -hmm. No fetal pig will go undissected. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and that's it, man. That's the episode. That is it. That is it. Indeed. I guess it was still a pretty good one. I I don't have any major problems yet. Uh, certainly at this point in season two and season one, 
I had enormous problems, but not I here. really thought by this time in the season, we'd have Jordy back. We'd have, you know, we, we would sure, have the sure. whole compliment. Now we're getting, it looks like we're going to have everybody but Jordy back. And I guess Deanna uh, back on the ship. Um, it's just Jack, man. I just don't get, I just don't care. I don't care. I, I don't, I like the Picard and Beverly relationship as presented on this show does not make sense to me. Um, therefore it doesn't feel real. There is like this. I feel like that. I guess that's what the, the mm. whole Jack crusher feels like fan fiction. And I'm not, I guess there's, there's some kind of like barrier between me fully emotionally grappling with it because I don't, if it's, it's, it's fan fiction, not just because the idea is fan fiction <laughs> and fan service, although there's that, but it's also, it's, it's just poorly executed. Um, I didn't Sometimes buy the line between fan fiction and Canon is merely a paycheck. Well, this is true. This is true. Um, sometimes you get in 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 all the big science fiction franchise a little bit too too fan fictiony mm-hmm. in in the writing to its to the series detriment. But that's the thing. It's like you know when we were talking about two episodes ago, you know you really liked the Picard Beverly confrontation they had. I'm just like, man, that doesn't uh-huh. seem like either one of them. Like failure to emotionally engage in that is now leading to me to not really care about Jack Crusher. Sure. Other than as a MacGuffin. Uh huh. So I'm with you there. I don't care very much about Jack Crusher. I, even though I like that scene with Beverly and Picard. Well, in the episodes, it is an interesting MacGuffin. "Eh, That's, that's, that's not, again, that's not that I was here for the T and G, not the T and G, the next, next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still got a lot of T and G and there's more to come. Like you said, we're going to get, uh, daddy LaForge in here. We're going to get, uh, some Moriarty, we're gonna get some war. I think uh, we've got plenty to look forward to. I've, I have heard rumors. I don't know if this is confirmed anywhere, but I've heard rumors about Tasha Yar maybe showing up at some point. Which... Oh, the Vulcan or the uh, the the Romulan hybrid Tasha, <laughs> perhaps. Because if they bring Tasha or a back, holodeck, like, that would be a fucking trick, man. Right. Um, maybe hmm, they'll just bring her back as like it wasn't wasn't she memorialized uh, via a tombstone that was like holographic. She, yeah, I was on the Windows 95 desktop, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Or Windows XP desktop. Sure. Maybe that'll just be it. He'll be like Picard will be reminiscing and thinking about like, you know, all the decisions he's made in the past and he'll just go visit Tasha's grave. It seems we'll have to see. It seems like you don't need to bring her back for that. You could probably just do a digital insertion, but whatever. Are you ready for me to initiate the outro sequence? Sure. Let's do it. I need to warn you. I'm turning off the safety interlocks. I had already assumed. Okay. You when should. you pulled the you phaser, should. yeah. How am I going to feel alive if I don't do an outro sequence with no safety interlocks? <laughs> uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, uh, even though we're stuck in a nebula and not receiving communications at this time, Picard at baldmove.com, the subspace tubes unclog, who knows what will happen. Follow along at twitter.com slash baldmove. You want to know what we're doing, uh, what, 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 what we're releasing that's not Picard. Uh, and also... Uh, if you'd like to support us and what we do, get ad-free feeds, a bunch of other bonus audio content, check out our club, support.baldmove.com. Find all the ways you can help us make podcasts here at Bald Move. That's it. We'll be back next week for episode six to see the further adventures of Jack Crusher and crew. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>